money represents a lot of different things for different people, right? We assign a lot of emotions, importance to how much money one has. The understanding is that there is energy in everything. And our soul's journey in this physical world is to find the balanced way to enjoy the energy, the light, the blessing in all things spiritual and physical. This idea that if you want to have a healthy relationship with money, that you're getting more from, but you're also giving back with, like you would in a romantic relationship, like you would with your relationship with your children, like you would with your relationship with yourself. It's the one area in our physicality, really, that we kind of have it all backwards. It's very much rooted in the desire to receive. An individual will always be limited by the most they can think. So if a person does really believe that he or she is limited in the amount of money and and or fulfillment that they can receive from money, that will always be the case. Welcome to the Spiritually Hungry Podcast, episode 53. Yes. So when we came up with this uh, topic, it was around a meeting we had with some students or a dinner rather, and the topic of money came up and all things about money, feelings surrounding it, um, wanting to have it, feeling badly about wanting to have it, it's complicated. And funnily enough, you know, we're in California, as you know, and on the flight here, um, Abigail was watching, it's actually a great show, they canceled it for some reason, but Girl Meets World, and this was about money, it's called Girl Meets Money. And there was a few ideas discussed in it, and she wanted to make sure I, I gave her a shout out. Yay, Abigail. Thanks, Abigail. That she helped uh, construct this episode. And, and she really did give some feedback, and she was very passionate about it because she is uh, excited to help heal the world by giving money away to those in need. So, yes, it's very much inspired by her. But money, if we just like, let's just talk about money, right? So basically it's a piece of paper that the U.S. government decided has a lot of value. For any government. And before that, I think what it was like livestock was something. Well, it's actually interesting. And again, this is not really uh, on the spiritual side, but for many, many years, um, people who studied economies and money believed that the world progressed from a barter economy where people would you know Exchange if i had a cow and you had bread i would give you things yeah yes and that and that in order to enable people the ease uh, ease of of uh, of transforming that barter system into something that easier to move around i can hold on to coins easier than i can hold on to livestock or bread and that's how our current modern economies came into being interestingly that's not it, it, Later times, basically in the 70s and 80s, economists now believe that that's not the reason or how our modern economies came into being, which is an interesting... Well, you got to follow up with, so what is then? Well, that it wasn't... It, the, the basic theory was that, again, we came from a barter system, and at a certain point, society d- decided, civilization decided... A new convenient, more convenient it's way. It's much more convenient rather right. than, again, if I had... A cow. loaves of bread, <laughs> bread and you had, you had a few cows instead of me having to hold on to all my bread until uh, somebody had something that i needed i could transfer that bread into money by you buying it for me for example and then whenever i needed something from you i can use that same currency so it was basically uh, a way to um uh, make the barter system easier but research and, and um has found that that's probably not what happened that there's another reason. The monetary system that we have actually developed as a way for people to be able to really owe and, um, and repay in a way that people can acknowledge. Hmm. So it's more about um, owing money, being able to, to um, find ways that make sense or that people can hold on to that... Um, that allows us to, you know, to to use money or or what we don't necessarily have. If I owe you, if you have again something that I need and I don't have the money to pay it, I don't have a way to repay you. We can start a ledger where you owe me something, I owe you something, and over time that either gets accounted for or gets um, or gets released. Also, with more pieces of paper, right? We actually assign value to these pieces of paper. Well, right? again, initially, so, right? The history is that initially it actually had an inherent value. 
right? So that you could actually, you know. But you don't need 10 cows, for instance. My well, point not is- cows. I'm saying even the monetary system that we have today, right? So the dollar used to be backed by uh, by gold, for example, and you could actually go to the to the to the government and say, okay, here's my one dollar. I want one dollar worth worth of gold because every bill that was printed by most large countries was backed by some sort of uh, uh, commodity, mm-hmm. uh, gold or silver or otherwise. But that's even no longer the case today. Today, um, again, it simply is a form that is accepted by many to have some value. Right. But when you look at it this way, it's it's interesting, right, how it came to be. Um, and also, I think money is, if you want to just look at it this way, it's purely symbolic, right? It can represent greed, um, envy, power, happiness, perhaps, temporary, um, security, potential status. So money represents a lot of different things for different people, right? We assign a lot of emotions, importance to how much money one has. And I would assume... Which further complicates our relationship with money. Right. I was going to say, of, of our lives, it is probably one of the most prone areas to stress and fear and anxiety. Of course, also in some cases to joy and fulfillment. Depending on the energy and thought behind it. Right. But but probably more than almost any other part of our lives. You know, we often talk about relationships. That's certainly an area where people either draw great happiness or great uh, sadness and, and pain. Um, certainly money and all that surrounds it is one of the main areas. And that's why I think it's such an important topic to understand maybe transform our understanding from a spiritual perspective, because it is, again, a source for most people in the world of, again, anxiety, fears, and again, at times of joy. And we know many wars are fought because of money. Many crimes are committed because money is involved somehow. Um, And also we have this false belief system that something is, is better because it's more expensive. Like, you know, on this show, again, with Abigail, they showed up, they showed two t-shirts that were identical, same color, same size, same um, saying on the shirt. And one was $12.99, the other one was $36. So which one is better? You would assume the more expensive one is because maybe the material was softer or just because it's more expensive, it must be, if it's worth more, then it's better, which again is not true. Um, So just some statistics about stress that money causes. In APA's latest stress in America survey, they found out that 72% of Americans reported feeling stressed about money at least sometime in the prior month. According to the 2021 Capital One CreditWise survey, 73% of Americans ranked their finances as the most significant source of stress in their life. 73% is a lot. 70% of married couples argue about money ahead of fights about household chores, togetherness, sex, snoring, and what's for dinner. It was number one? What is it's the most out of for 70% of married couples. 64% of couples without children under 18 argue about money, while 80% of couples with children younger than 18 argue about money. So clearly we need to get around this. Um, now, I think also we need to look at our own unique psychology around money because I think everybody has a different relationship with it. I think part of it is um, how we grew up, right? So if you grew up in a home where your father had a lot of money, millions, and then lost it all, right? That's going to impact your relationship with money, for better or worse. You might think that it's fleeting. Um, Even if a a grandfather, right, he was a great entrepreneur and he lost it all on some gamble, then maybe that would create for the rest of the family to be really selective and very tight with money as a result. I would say that I would separate two things out. One is things that actually happened. The second part of that is what people's emotional reaction to it was. Because, for example, I, I can I know that growing up, for instance, we did not have uh, really a lot of money. We bought clothes in thrift shops, but we never had the sense of lack. So maybe if you looked in the in our family in my parents' bank account at the time, you would find nothing. But growing up, there was no emotional uh, sense. Right, they didn't of feel lack less than or undeserving or shame for not it. having it. Whereas, for instance, I know in your example where your father had a lot of money and then lost a lot of money. I think that that occurrence, that is probably, you know, on its own can be obviously negative and detrimental, but probably the greater scars that it left, if it did, 
would be his reaction to that and how that was spoken of and how that was related and how that was felt in the house. Right, and that, that is where the most value was placed is that if you have money, then you're worthwhile. What I made though, and I can't speak from all my sisters, but I made the conscious choice that I wasn't gonna put that much value in money because look at what happens, right? And look how people live their lives. And luckily I found spirituality at a young age. So I was able to really go, you know, adjust my feelings or really decide what kind of feelings or relationship I wanted to have with money. But for many, I don't think that they ever actually go and look at the, their history, their roots and say, okay, well, this is what I grew up seeing. This is what scares me. This is what I have anxiety about. You know, because some people can have a lot of money and they never spend it because they, they don't, they're afraid that they'll run out or many people have not a lot of money and they overspend, right? So we do a lot of different and some things. People, and I would add to that. And there are people who have not so much money, but enjoy it. And people have a lot of money and don't enjoy it, which exactly. I think, I think again, as we will hopefully expand further, I think that's probably the most important question around money. Not so much, how do you have more? How do you have less? How much do you have? How much is enough? How can I live a, a life where I enjoy what what I have, be it great or, or, or not as much? And also, we know that a lot of people, um, especially kids, that come from a lot of money, sometimes they feel shame about it because they feel undeserving. Like, why do I have all this when my friends may not? And we also know that um, there are children who are also ashamed to have their friends to their house because they're embarrassed for not having. So it creates a lot of different feelings around guilt, shame, worthiness. And I do want to talk about the Kabbalistic understanding of money because I think that money can be uh, used, obviously, for positive or negative. It can bring out positive and negative behaviors in all of us. And there's also this understanding, I think, for some, that if you are truly, in fact, it was something that I read, that if you truly are a spiritual being, yeah, here it is. Okay. So someone once asked a wise rabbi, why should you, of all people, have such a splendid courtyard? Why are you so truly royal, enjoying great plenty and a life of luxury? Shouldn't a rabbi and a righteous person serve as an example to others to be satisfied with little and to have a life of real hardship? And the rabbi answered him, among many others, but I want to focus on this part, and I thought we could talk about it, but Moses was one of the greatest teachers, and he grew up in a palace, right? Abraham was also very wealthy. There was many patriarchs, matriarchs. So what is this idea? Because I think people often, and I, I think that's part of the reason that people choose for themselves. Like, if I'm a spiritual being, I can't be a wealthy being. If I'm a wealthy being, I can't pursue spirituality. If I'm a this, I'm a that. And it, it's never black or white in anything, but this idea of money, there is a spiritual energy in money. Of course. So I think... Certainly the Kabbalistic view, I would um, argue the, the, the spiritual view, is different than I think some people misunderstand. Right? There is this view that if you're spiritual, you are divorced of the physical world. And therefore, in, in the story that you, that you mentioned, people assume that certainly spiritually elevated people, but certainly people who are desiring a spiritual life, divorce themselves or to some degree um, lessen the enjoyment that they receive from money or even from this physical world. Right. Well, then that would translate to also food, right? Everything. Uh, sex, anything. In and the there are, world. and again, there are, I know, certain spiritual traditions that that, that is their teaching that is not certainly the Kabbalistic teaching and, or, or the Kabbalistic way. The understanding is that there is energy in everything. And our soul's journey in this physical world is to find the balanced way to enjoy the energy, the light, the blessing in all things spiritual and physical. As a matter of fact, the very essence of the word Kabbalah, which is the ancient word for this wisdom tradition, is to receive. And really at the core, it's all about how do I receive more, and how do I receive more in the right way. For, and for what purpose? Of course, for what purpose. But what that leads us to understand is that not only does a spiritual life not preclude desiring and growing in physical blessings, be it money or otherwise, as a matter of fact, it's a necessary part of our spiritual life to desire more and receive more, but in the proper and balanced way. And like you mentioned, many of the great um, sages and teachers, Moses, Abraham, they were very wealthy men, and there's actually an interesting teaching that says that the, the source of wisdom 
and the source of wealth actually has the same spiritual source. And therefore, there are some teachers who actually say that in order to be uh, a great spiritual revealer of wisdom, one else has to have access, at least, to great wealth. So as explain we find with the case same of Abraham. source. What so is we know that every blessing comes from, from uh, uh, a supernal, a, a non-physical spiritual source. So money has its source, and the Kabbalistic term for that would be Yesod. And that so these are spiritual planes for right, our listeners that right, aren't gateways, that familiar. Right. So, so the point is, if you, one of the important aspects of spiritual study and, and understanding is that, let's assume, and to use an example around money, let's assume you need a loan, right? You're not going to go to the butcher for a loan, <laughs> right? You'll go to the bank for a loan or for somebody who, can, who has money to lend. If you want meat, you go to the butcher. If you want vegetables, you go to the farm. So you have to know what the source of everything is in order to be able to access it. And part of the spiritual understanding is learning what is the source of this ble- a person, for instance, who ne- does, doesn't have children, wants to have children. Um, there's a source for that. There, there are therefore tools that one can use to access that blessing. So there's so, like ten gateways to different unique blessings you want to access, as you just mentioned. Exactly. If it's financial, like sustenance. If it's uh, children, blessings in that way. If it's health, it would be another ga- gateway. Exactly. And therefore, one of the Kabbalists teaches that the gateway or the, 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 the place from which the blessings of wisdom come is, all, is the same place from which the blessings of wealth come. And therefore, you will find throughout the history that there are often uh, great spiritual teachers who also had great physical wealth. Of course, they use it probably more different than, than most people do, but that's, that's uh, not besides the point, but that's a separate point. Although there are also great teachers and spiritual giants who were not wealthy. And that's, again, but the point is that they are not, not only not antithetical to each other, they are, in a true spiritual sense, united and necessary. And therefore, if, if you understand that, you accept that. You accept that a very important part of my spiritual growth has to be a growing of my desire. Often people come to me, you know, whether they, they're at different part, part points in their lives, especially if somebody is uh, worked for many years and even been successful. And they say, you know, if I want to be spiritual, maybe I should just retire and spend all of my time in study and, and spiritual work. And the reality often is that through working and through even the attainment of money, one can achieve uh, the, the most important spiritual development and growth. So I think the basic understanding is this, that desiring money in the proper with the proper consciousness with the proper thought is not is is actually an important part of our spiritual development because the view is this the light of the creator is endless and we are created to receive endless blessings the purpose of the spiritual work and study and process is how do i access it's to open those, those endless blessings for yourself but if i think if a person thinks that there's something wrong or unspiritual with attaining, with making money, with attaining wealth, then they are actually closing, just with that consciousness, they're closing themselves up to the potential blessings that are, that are meant to come out. What's so powerful about them. this? Because you can apply that then to every single thing in Absolutely. our lives. And we are physical beings. So we are supposed to enjoy the physicality of this world. Of course, again, with the right consciousness, with the right desire, the more money you have, hopefully the greater your desire is to go and share that with many and the world. Um, but I think also, you know, people do this with relationships. They want the relationship, but they don't think they're deserving of it. So they basically block or close that gateway. And same thing with children. Maybe they have a past that they're ashamed of and therefore they think they're not deserving, right? right. So the, the, I think the beautiful part of this conversation, I think it's so necessary for people to really understand that, that every gateway is meant to be open. And that is the purpose of spiritual practice is that through learning and study and, and applying those tools, that is how you're able to open the gateway so that your physical life can be as pleasurable as your spiritual life. So much so that there's a teaching that says that when a person leaves this physical world, he's actually taken to, he or she had taken to account for physical blessings that he or she were meant to enjoy and did not. Oh, so let's unpack that. Yeah, just that, that you know, there are people, again, sometimes it comes from a spiritual place, or I would say a misunderstanding of spiritual uh, wisdom, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not meant to enjoy uh, uh, money, or I'm not meant to enjoy sex, or any areas of my life 
the spiritual view is that, that, that yes, of course, there's consciousness around it, but that we are meant to. And that's why we're here. We're not here to, to abstain. We're here to receive in the proper way, yes. But all physical things, all physical blessings are meant to be accessed endlessly and meant to be enjoyed. That's why we're here. I mean, that's the thing with spirituality and specifically Kabbalah. It's to teach you how to not short circuit in all of those things that we participate in the physical world, right? right. So when people abuse their bodies or sex or what, any area, right? The, the whole idea of spirituality is really so you learn how to balance exactly. the different columns, the different energies. And therefore really be able to enjoy it because if it's not balanced, right. it's usually not as enjoyable as when it is balanced. And we, we get so broken with it all. Some people are just like, I'm just, I don't want any part of it because I don't know how to be healthy with it. I don't know how to use it properly. So we abandon it altogether and that's a mistake. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of one of our students came to me some time ago, and he, he was saying, and again, he he's in his fifties. He had worked and been relatively successful, and his mind he was saying, okay, the next chapter of my life, I want to devote to spirituality. So for him, that meant, you know, selling off or basically retiring from work. That's so interesting, though, to decide to do it in like you know, this was this chapter of my life. Well, a lot of people do that, right? I mean, and and, and rightfully so. Right, people. I think it is important. You know, I, this case was different to my mind. But a person says, "Okay, I've done this for this amount of time. Now I want to try something else, or I want to do something different." But, mm, uh, yeah, okay. But I think that ideally, one should try to participate in all aspects of their lives. Of course, you can't give equal attention to those things, but I don't think that, I think you're going to burn out. I think that you'll only enjoy, you know, let's say 10 years of your life, you're only devoting to your work and your career and nothing else. Well, then in those 10 years, you're actually missing out on a lot of things, a lot of opportunities, a lot of understandings, a lot of joy. It's kind of like going through life with like blinders on, right? But I think it's an important point because I think a lot of people do do that. And I think it's a mistake. But for him, it, there was an additional element to it, which is that he was not able to not become stressed in his work. And my advice to him was... So that's was, why he wanted to abandon that it, really? That was one of the reasons. So, so it wasn't so really it for was really a, a, a spiritual... Exactly, okay. right. So in his, to his mind, it was... That was okay, a justifiable reason. Yes, if I, to, because if I, I don't want stress, which is understandable and right. We should not really... We should find the way to, ways to this, decrease stress in our lives. And he wanted to devote more time to spirituality. What I said was that your soul's process, what we call tikkun, that correction and growth that each one of us is meant to have in our lives, is probably more readily achieved when you're at work, in the office, and those situations come at you, and you're able to find the way through your spiritual study and understanding not to be reactive to them, not to be stressed by them. Yeah, of course, if you go to a mountain and spend the next 10 years meditating and studying and not being involved in work, probably much easier not to be stressed, probably much easier not to be reactive, but less possible that you will be growing and changing from it. That's We're why not I said, this, yeah. when people are not you connecting with their physicality in a healthy way, they abandon those parts altogether and avoid them. And that's just not, that's never the answer. Because no growth will come from that. And and the view is that, the understanding is that we hear, yes, to be spiritual beings, the spiritual beings in the, the physical, physical world. world. Which again, so, so once you really accept, understand that we are meant, our consciousness should be, that I want more of everything. The next question has to be, is it about more or is it about enjoying it more? And, and I want to stress this point because I think it's so important because everybody in this world is at a different place uh, financially. Some people have a lot, some people don't have a lot, some people lack. And I think the most important question is not whether I have, I had yesterday, I had one dollar today, I have two, but rather am I able to extract more enjoyment, more pleasure, more fulfillment out of what I have. Because there's no question you will have two people, one with more money, one with less money. The person with less money can be much more fulfilled in their lives than the person with more money. So the actual number is not as important as whether I am able to access the energy in it. Well, do you think that that also, I mean, I do, that that opens the gateway then 
to create more money. Also, but that is almost secondary. Because if you never get to the point where you are able to enjoy the light or the energy within your money, whether you have $1 or $1,000, then having $2,000, my point is this, if you, if you can enjoy $1, then it's very possible that when you get $2, now you'll have double the amount of pleasure and fulfillment. But if you have $1,000 and you have zero enjoyment out of it, having $2,000 will actually not give you any more enjoyment, pleasure, or fulfillment. Actually, it might even make it worse. Mm-hmm. So at the core when you understand that money is energy and that more important than the actual number is the amount of pleasure and fulfillment you can extract out of it, that becomes the number one priority rather than just making sure one becomes two and two becomes four. Although that's important as well, once you're able to have the ability to extract the energy from the money. Well, it's also like the mentality, I'll be happy when, right? So if you can't actually enjoy the dollar, yeah, then two will not be enough, three will not be enough, four, and so on and so forth, right? The energy of a dollar is going, if you really appreciate that one dollar, then that one dollar, if you have a thousand of those one dollars, right, your appreciation then grows. So I think it's like, even, you know, we all look at pennies on the floor and there's that superstition, you should really, you know, when you see a penny, find a penny, pick it up all day long, you'll have good luck. But nobody picks up a penny. They're dirty and they're almost useless really at this point. I'm sure some people but if you were to take, you needed to get home on the bus and you had a dollar and 49 cents, that penny would really suddenly be very valuable, right? But I think that needs to be our change in our approach to how we view even a cent. Right. The most important consciousness around money. Once you accept that I am meant to have more. Second, well, that, that's going to be a tough one for people to get from, to, I can tell you that for most of the world, from where they are today, to that first idea, it's it's I, it's not that easy to that I can have. What did you say? That I meant to <laughs> meant have to have more. I don't think a lot of people believe that they are. Really? Yeah, I think people are really complicated about it because it goes back to worth, right? It's not but, so much. But but most of the world, I, I I would challenge that because I think most of the world, why do they go to work? Why are they building? Why are they entrepreneurs? Because they want to have more. Wanting and believing that you can have more are two different things. Maybe I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I would like to argue this. I would really stand. I know, really, I really do believe that. I think that people, that's why they settle in jobs and they stay in places they're not even happy because they don't believe that they could make more money doing something that they actually love. Because what they, it's very complicated because our worth is very much tied into and our value on how much people are willing to pay us for what we do. And that's not, they're not necessarily equal. I, I again, People go to work because they want to have more money than they had the day before. Correct. If they didn't want to have more money today, everybody than wants they more money. Yes. Not everybody thinks that they can have more money. It's different. I think maybe what I would agree with is that most people underestimate what they can have. True. Because so I think again, we're saying the same thing, right. Michael Berg. Yes. Just differently. <laughs> again, because again, if a person has one dollar in his or her bank account and he or she did not believe that they could have more, they wouldn't go to work the next yes, day. Yes, but they might think that the, it's there's a cap right. at a thousand dollars. When they really, like you said, the bank at the end of their life that they were meant to have twenty thousand, right. whatever the number is. Right. Okay. There's right. a big disparity between right. the two. So I think that so we're, we're saying, saying the same thing. That people are uh, often underestimate what they can have. Yes. What they can have. That's what I said. Yes. <laughs> As always, you are right and I am wrong. Um, Your second point? That, that, again, the most important element is not so much about having more money, although that is important, is how do I extract more joy, more fulfillment out of what I have? And I think in order to achieve that, I think there's at least, I have a, I have a, a list of three areas of consciousness around money that will hopefully open us and our listeners up to be able to manifest, to receive what they are meant to have. So the first... I love a good list. Yes, yeah, you do. <laughs> is the understanding that as all energy, we talked, for instance, we talked about children. Our view towards our children is not that they are ours, but that they are given to us for many reasons, some of which we can understand, some of which we do not, to assist in their process, but not, not that we own them and that they are ours, certainly in relationships. We do not view our spouse, our partner as ours, but a gift really given to us to allow us to have a relationship, to allow us to have joy and fulfillment. So too, as it relates to money. The way to make sure that any money that I have is able to give me endless fulfillment is first to know that it's not mine. 
Once I take ownership over it, which means that I believe that the only reason that I have it is because I worked really hard and I earned it, when in reality, probably, probably 10 people who worked harder than me that don't have as much as I have. But A lot of people get really lucky, and it doesn't make sense. Because all money is really a blessing, to some extent unearned. The light of the Creator blesses all of us to differing degrees, depending on our soul's needs and purpose, with differing levels of monetary uh, uh, manifestation. But at the end of the day, if a person says, consciously or unconsciously, if the ego says, this is mine, then he or she is basically cutting off the energy within that money from its source, from the light of the Creator. So the flow kind of stops. The flow stops, and therefore the money is almost dead. It's not blessed money. It's so, not money with it. You, you, you cut off the energy from that money. Do you think that affects how much a person enjoys their money? All of it. It definitely affects how much he or she enjoys it, and it also definitely affects how much more he or she can and will receive. And is this then where tithing would come in? Yes. So that, that was my third point. But, but Oh, sorry. I don't want to mess your list up. <laughs> you don't want to wait on that? No, no, no. I'll go. So, so, so th- that idea... So Right. I think it's really important. I think a lot of people one of the ways, consider it charity, which it is not. It is it's not. completely separate. Right. So maybe that was your second point. Am what, I guessing the list? <laughs> what, no, I'll go. So, so number two is if you really understand that money is energy, I want to make sure that I get more light, more I maintain more energy within my and money, flow. and therefore I'll be able to f- receive more fulfillment for, from it. That it's blessed money. I can't take ownership on it. My ego cannot say it's it's mine because I earned it and it's all mine. One of the ways to make sure that that consciousness of of not owning ego based my money is by making sure that I infuse it with an action of sharing. There's those who do tithing, which is one-tenth of their, of their money they give away to either to somebody else who needs or, 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 or places that need or that can be assisted with that. But really it's about making sure that our entire consciousness, and of course manifested in action around money, it has what we call a desire to share infused in it. Because if you really understand why, at the end of the day, did the light of the Creator give me these $10? For me to enjoy it, yes, but also, if I am to maintain the energy within this money, some of it has to be shared. And I don't share because I'm a kind person. Again, it's good to be a kind person, a spiritual person, a giving person. But we always say sharing is the most selfish thing you can exactly. actually do. <laughs> because what it does is it maintains, one, it's one of the ways that I am able to maintain the blessing, the energy within my money. So when I view... so. When you, the way the Kabbalists say it, you know, most people, if you have $10 and you give $1 away to somebody who needs it, in your mind, I had 10, I gave one away, I got to keep my nine. When in reality, you, the, the, the spiritual way to view it is, these 10 are not mine. But if I give one of them to somebody else who needs, then these, I, I get to use these nine. So it's a really, it's, it's the opposite way of viewing, um, certainly, our money, our ownership of it, or lack of ownership, and more importantly, the necessity, the necessity for there to be a flow of giving from within my money so that it maintains its energy. Most importantly, it maintains its blessing for me. As so again, then the second would be charity, and the Charity third, or tithing, no. Well, there, but there are two different things, because yeah. tithing, no, because I think that people could, could think that, okay, I, I give once a year, um, you know, when, when it's a time for taxes or whatever, and I give to this big thing, and, and that was a nice thing to do. And it is, of course, right? But then there's something where with the paycheck that you get each month, or um, you got a big inheritance or something unexpected, and you give 10% of that with the idea that none of it is, is yours, and you're giving to the physicality, right? You're giving that a percentage of it back to source. Right. But again, I think, true, there are two ways of giving. I think, though, the most important consciousness, whether however one giving. however one manages it, you know, whether they give it once a year, or whether they they give it only when a big occurrence occurs, I think more most important is the consciousness around it. Mm-hmm. Right. I think when you look at your bank account and you say this is all mine, and now I'm going to decide whether I'll give this guy or this person who needs, that's all wrong. It's all wrong. Well, isn't there that and idea that you shouldn't count your money? That's, um, there's that also that Kenny Rogers song. 
You never, you never count, count your money. Your well, money. When you're sitting at the table. When you're yeah. sitting, sing with me at the table. <laughs> <laughs> One of my parents' favorite songs. I know, Karen, yes. especially. Um, but yes, that's true. That that Kabbalistically, there's a concept that because you want all your blessings to be limitless, you want to keep them as concealed as possible. So unnecessarily counting your money puts a limit on them, and you want to you don't want to do that. But as we said before, one of the greatest ways that we put limits on not only how much money we have, but more importantly, how much pleasure, fulfillment we can receive out of the money that we have, is by taking ownership, cutting it off from its source, not injecting consistently into my relationship with money the action of sharing. I think I might have shared this in one of our previous podcasts. Maimonides asks a very interesting question. If you decide to give $1,000 away, sharing, is it better to give a thousand dollar check to one person who really, or one organization that really needs it, or is it better to give one dollar to a thousand organizations or a thousand people? One dollar to a exactly. thousand different places. And so Maimonides says it's important. The the the, the best uh, action would be to do a thousand actions of sharing because you're spreading it now, right? More important than spreading it, you're because the, why am I giving? At the end of the day, I'm giving because I need to give. I know that from my relationship to be healthy with my money, in order for my money to be blessed, in order for my money to have energy with it, the concept, the consciousness of sharing has to be with it all the time. So if I give out money once a year, am I really thinking about sharing mm-hmm. out of my money at the 11 months? Probably not. And that's a mistake. Because in order for money, the energy within money, to be alive, in order for money to be growing and to be fulfilling, there has to be a constant consciousness of sharing imbued within it. And therefore, the more actions of sharing that we do, be they great or small, but with understanding is the reason I am doing it is because I know this is not my money. And I know that in order for money to maintain its blessing, in order for money to maintain its energy, for me, I need to be in the process of sharing it. So that's the, the second idea. And the third is, and it relates to everything we spoke about, how do you keep it alive? And it's true, but all the blessing that we have is appreciation. Mm-hmm. It is impossible for my money, no matter if it's $1 or $1,000, to be fulfilling for me and no way for it to grow unless I am appreciating it. And the more I appreciate it, the more it is able to grow. It is able to grow in the amount of fulfillment that it brings me, the $1 that I have, and allows it to grow to become $2. And, you know, there's an ancient phrase that the Kabbalists use. They say, which means give, give it one-tenth of your money, give of your money, so that you become wealthier, so that you become, you, you have more. And really, all three of the, of the concepts that we spoke about, or the consciousness around it, is the way to guarantee that both the money that I have is fulfilling for me, and that I will be blessed to have more. It's interesting. I was thinking about this as you were speaking. That obviously is how we should approach every aspect of our lives. And I think to some degree we do, right? With our children or our relationship with self or our health, even the spiritual practice, you go back in and you check again. It's not something you look into your relationship with one time a year, right? Absolutely. And it's also more uniquely that, and we don't do this with other areas of our life so much, but it's the one that we just keep looking on how to get more, how to receive more. And unless you force yourself really to have this consciousness, it's not the obvious thing. It's not something that's really spoken about for the most part, right? I mean, of course, there are some religions that talk about tithing. We know charity is good. But this idea that if you want to have a healthy relationship with money, that you're getting more from, but you're also giving back with, like you would in a romantic relationship, like you would with your relationship with your children, like you would with your relationship with yourself. It's the one area in our physicality, really, that we kind of have it all backwards. It's very much rooted in the desire to receive, you know, because I think also so part of it, and this is what I was thinking about when you were speaking, is that it's an easier thing to kind of identify. Of course, it's an illusion, right? Because somebody can be living in an apartment building and they're driving a Rolls Royce, right? Or have a new whatever. I think it's a way that we see, we assume, we judge that I know everything about this person based on what they have. Where you wouldn't with children, you never know what's going on in somebody's home, right? You don't know what the relationship. I think a lot of things you can pretend with. The money thing, it's a way that keeps us... Um, my point is, I think it's even more confusing for us to have a healthy relationship with it because we we misunderstand it so completely with how we relate to other people and how we relate to the world. Right, and I, I would add to that that one of the ways to deprive our money of its energy and therefore of its blessing 
is in any times that we either use it for the purpose of our ego, which means I need, and fortunately, you know, this is um, often done, I need people to know or to see that I am successful or that I have money. Respect me, yeah. Oh, right. Any action that, I, that a person does with their money that is for the purpose of their ego, which means not you're supposed to enjoy it, have an amazing meal, have an amazing vacation, right? But the things that we do or don't do so that other people will view us in one way or another, that is one of the surest ways to deprive our money of its energy and our money's ability to then give us more fulfillment and give us more blessings. So, and again, this happens all the time, but as is true of all important things, one should care less of what anybody thinks about any area of their lives, certainly what others think about their success or lack thereof in, in, their, in their financial lives. I just think it's also a big source of judgment. I think people... Positive or negative. Well, there are people who... Write yeah, the, no, but, but yeah, just judgment, yes. full stop. A for lot. For sure, for sure. The, and what I want to add to that, and I think this is also really important, is that people's, again, the 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 mistake that a lot of people make as it relates to money is the thought that it's limited. That, that you know, if my bank account says, this is how much I have, that's all I have. Because they also can't find, especially if they can't figure out another way to get more, right? If they mm-hmm. just like worked really hard to get what they had or they won the lottery, whatever it is, like, okay, this was the one time it was going to get, this was my big break and that's it. It's now capped. And that consciousness of limitation mm-hmm. actually certainly limits our ability to both receive great fulfillment from whatever it is that we have, and certainly gain or earn more. The spiritual view around money is that it's limitless. It's limitless in the fulfillment it can give me of what I currently have, and it's also limitless in what I can receive. And that, I think, is a very big shift for most people. But it's so important because consciousness is everything you will always, an individual will always be limited by the most they can think. Mm -hmm. So if a person does really believe that he or she is limited in the amount of money and, and or fulfillment that they can receive from money, that will always be the case. The way to open one oneself up to the limitless blessing, both from the current money that they have and more having more money is understanding that at the end of the day, the energy within money is coming from the light to the Creator. And that energy is limitless. Limitless in fulfillment and limitless in, 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 in amount. There is something that I thought was kind of interesting that's like not very spiritual at all, but I do think it's important. Uh, it's this idea of frugality. There's actually, um, it's a psychological disorder. Did you know that? It makes sense. And it's a common symptom um, that's actually connected to obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is different and sometimes confused with OCD. Individuals who suffer from this tend to be extremely detailed list makers and workaholics. They also exhibit the following behaviors, a tendency to skimp on essentials, even if they have the money to spend and a miserly spending style like Scrooge from a Christmas Carol. And it even extends to themselves, which I think, again, it's just so, it's interesting. It's never really about, like you said earlier, how much money you have. It's how you view it, how much you're able to enjoy it, and how much you're able to appreciate it. The good news is that you can actually change any of that. Some, it will require more work. And of course, we have baggage, as we said. But um, it's really an opportunity because it is an energy. And what a waste if you can't even enjoy what you have on every level. Absolutely. And that's why, in related to that, the Zohar has an interesting teaching. It says that there is actually a force in this world that can attach itself to a person's money, where even if he or she has, that they cannot enjoy it. There's a verse that says, Osher Shamur Lebaalav Lerato, which means wealth kept for an individual, but to their detriment. And that the Zohar says, therefore, that there's, there's this energy. And, and how, where does that come from, then? Where does that and how is come? it created for each person? It's how does it... his or her consciousness around it. Right? So when a person... So fear, stress... Fear, but uh, but uh, also related to all the three things we spoke about before. If a person thinks, oh, it's all mine, my ego made it all for me, a person does not it. inject sharing into mm-hmm. it, a person does not have appreciation for it, 
the wow, money the money's energy changes and actually becomes the the money becomes surrounded by an energy that does not allow the individual to enjoy it so therefore it, it almost makes no difference how much quantitatively the the value grows the fulfillment from it will have to be diminished almost non-existing and, and this is true certainly many of us know people who have money but do not enjoy it are not able to enjoy it it's interesting one of our kids i'm not going to say which um very innocently asked me this question the other day about someone they're like i don't really understand they have so much money and they don't spend it and they're they're getting older and and if you look at like the span of their life in reality they're not really going to spend they won't be able to spend all that money if they're living the way that they're living right not traveling not enjoying not so but this fear right and it, it's exactly what you're explaining it's like the money now is controlling them it has a hold over them and you really don't have the free will even to spend it or the desire and then it, it just it, it goes unspent so all of that is almost for nothing right and that's why you know and the amount is not as important as the consciousness at all there are people who have very little but you can tell that their heart and their hands are always open to share they live and a very people, rich life exactly mm-hmm. and therefore whatever it is that they have brings them great joint fulfillment and to others on the other hand you have people who have significantly more but their heart and their hands are closed and the effect of that always will be that they cannot enjoy whatever it is that is theirs whatever it is that they keep it just reminded me of my grandfather my mother's father and when i was a kid every honestly almost like every time he'd pass by me if I'd be at his house, and we were there like three times a week, four times a week, he would do two things. He'd come and bless me, and uh, he was so sweet and kind, and he would give me a dollar <laughs> every time, and he would just be, and he would say, enjoy it, you know, like he would say it in Farsi, and, but I think that for me, as in, like, as you said it now, I only realized, like, it made me feel that money was to be shared. He was never, he would, and he, by the way, he'd take like a wad of cash out, you know, like, it just, and and it came with a blessing always. So I associated the two actually together at a very young age because yeah. he had no, the giving was absolutely with an open hand and an open heart. Right, and, the, and you can tell. The and the dollar for me was more than a dollar. I valued it because he cared enough to even. I didn't. I don't even think I spent. I don't even know what I did with it. <laughs> I probably went to the candy store, but you know, I think that that's that's exactly to your point. And um, it says, for instance, that if Abraham gave you one penny, you become a wealthy man because it is the blessing or the energy within the money that is that important. And if, if you go through life with a closed heart and a closed hand, no matter how little or a lot you have, you unfortunately will not have the blessing within that money. Yes. So I just wanted to, in closing this, I want to quote two people. Dr. Diner, who wrote The Pursuit of Happiness. You remember we talked about his book, great book. And he studied happiness and he looked at people get really tripped up here he compared people on the forbes list of wealthiest americans with general population and found that they were only slightly happier than average with the whopping 37 percent being less happy than the average american so as the notorious vig said at best mo money mo problems um but i do also want to quote david foster wallace because you know i think that i just want to say something because you know it's related to what we spoke about relationships right in the in the in the Kahneman book where he speaks about the fact most people assume yes. once I'm married I'll just be much happier and in reality studies have shown that people's and after six or seven years they actually wind up being baseline less happy than they were before they got married and I think it's also true about money where sure. people have the misconception that if I have more money then I'll be happier when in reality like you just said that's not the case although it can be the case assuming people follow the, yeah, the, the Forbes list I and mean, 37% well, follow everything we shared until yeah then. yeah so David Foster Wallace he said um, this in relation to money in the day-to-day trenches of adult life there is actually no such thing as atheism there's no such thing as not worshiping everybody worships the only choice we get is what to worship an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship be it JC or Allah be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. 
on one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Beautiful, beautiful. So I'd like to share one of the stories, letters that we received. Yay! Yes, it's been a while, <laughs> but please, please, please keep sending them in, because whether or not we actually read because them... Because now Michael is reading them. <laughs> no, but also we are inspired by them all the time. So, well, you are, because you get to read them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> First, let me say how grateful I am for you and all the teachers. As I am on the bus listening to your podcast, I had to fight back tears. By the way, I love when we're like on a bus, in a car, in a plane, in a workout. It's so fun. I have a 27-year-old son whose schooling was entirely in special education. The worst picture was painted by the doctors when he was born. We were told he'd never walk and he may need to be institutionalized. Our background in African spirituality did not allow us to be swayed negatively. We tried to apply for services. It was always denied. I threw my hands up. I didn't know what path to take. When my son graduated with an IEP diploma, he stated that he didn't want to be labeled. So I did not push or pursue getting services. It's nine years since he left school. My son has been blessed. Fortunately, by our association with great organizations like Include New York City and Best Buddies, They've helped keep him employed. I recently had a health scare, which forced me to face reality. What would happen to my son if he weren't here to support him? Can he provide for himself? I started the process of having him reevaluated, and I've been praying for clarity. Listening to your podcast, I realized I, had, I have fears that I must overcome. I've been at the Kabbalah Center for eight years now, listening today, I remembered sitting upstairs when Josh read his, for his bar mitzvah. During the holidays, I watched him participate and marvel at his growth. Josh obviously is surrounded by not only loving, caring parents, but a community who really cares for him. I hope to feel the same about my son. I'm praying for a solution and the best outcome. Wishing you both continuous blessings, Valinda. Mm. So, Valinda, we send back our blessings and support you in... I'm sure that you will find the way to make sure that your son is supported not only now, but throughout his life. And um, to the rest of our listeners, I really hope that you are, again, as inspired by Valinda as we are, and by all those who have shared their stories. So continue to send your stories, questions, comments to Monica and Michael at Kabbalah.com. Monica and Michael at Kabbalah.com. And as always, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts, write five-star reviews, share this podcast with as many people as you can. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. Bye. Bye.